John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 108.EX3035, certificate number 36682, Beaver Castorium. The intoxicating power of the girl's smell made it clear to him that he must learn how to preserve scent, so that never again would he lose such sublime beauty. Hmm. Do you... Use any scented products? Mm, does Suave Apple Shampoo from the dollar store count? Oh, that's such good shampoo. I haven't used Suave Apple Shampoo since I was in college. You used to be able to find it at the store, and I was like, this is this is really nice smelling shampoo. It and, like apples. And it feels like it's as good as the expensive stuff. It smells yeah. like green apples. But I haven't been able to find it for years. And then the other day, I saw the dollar store has it. Wow. Like, I, I guess I've risen to a station in life where I can no longer find suave <laughs> unless I go in search of, like Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, suave apple shampoo. I loved suave. That did you ever try a uh, beer shampoo? Probably not. No did it Did it have beer <sighs> it in had it? Beer in it. It was supposed to be shampoo. It was supposed to be good for your hair. My grandma did that. My mom's mom, I think, used to wash her hair with beer. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of scandalous because she'd always have a six-pack of beer in the fridge. And if anybody from church saw, right. they'd think grandma's secret drinking But she problem. was like, no, 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 no. It's shampoo. It's I, I wash my hair with But why it. would she keep it in the fridge? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a fair point. <laughs> why is it in the fridge? You don't want it in the fridge. Um, it's not like canned beer goes bad that fast. I guess I sometimes smell like Old Spice. You do put Old Spice on. Yeah, but not the aftershave. Like, just like, it's Old Spice deodorant. Oh, okay. Deol- deodorant. Deodorant. But you you do wear deodorant. Yes. Oh. Unless there's a sponsor for this show that says I should not use antiperspirant, in which case I don't. Right. Have you used it since you were a teenager? Like, when did you get in the habit of that? Yeah, whenever my parents told me I stunk. So, yeah. I don't know. Ni- 1987. Uh, but I don't wear any cologne or perfume. Did it ever occur to you to? Yes, because it feels like grown-ups should. Right. But here's the thing. I don't even wear hair conditioner. No, clearly. Nobody ever said, no, my hair's great. But It's no, great, but it's a little bit. Nobody uh, ever sat down and said, look. nobody ever sat down and said, Ken, you need to start conditioning your hair. And I felt like until invited into that circle, uh, I never really felt the need. Well, you keep your hair short, so. It's true. So by the time it would need conditioner, you've already cut it, cut it again. 
It's true. Um, I use conditioner a lot on my daughter because she her hair gets tangled because she keeps putting it in her soup and stuff. Well, she has she's longer hair than we do. It yeah. just it falls in her soup. So I use conditioner to get the tangles out of her hair. Do you wear cologne? No. And like you, I think in the 1980s, I went through a period where, I mean, cologne was popular among the the girls and boys in my high school in the mid 80s. Um, this was even before CK1. Uh, before Axe Body Spray? You know, uh, way before that. But Obsession was uh, popular. Yeah. But, you know, the 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 boys were all experimenting with different m- manly fragrances. And um, and the girls were all experimenting with the boys. And, hey. and I've known a lot of uh, women that wear a, a light scent. And, I, and um, sometimes I find them intrusive, but a lot of times I don't. But I never could adopt a cologne. And it's not like I lined up 10 of them and tried them out. I did use, um, not Brill Cream, but um, what's the other stuff? Uh, Uh, Like Mousse? No. Although, yeah, that was the era of Mousse too. No. um, Depp. No. uh, California, what's that thing called? California Looks. Nope. Nope. I did use Vitalis because my mom in the in the early 80s, you know, when uh, when gel was becoming popular before or gel and mousse kind of at yeah. the same time. Um my mom said, "Well, that stuff's expensive and it's basically just Vitalis." And I was like, "What's Vitalis?" And she said, "Well, you know, Brill Cream was for like sleazy guys vitalis is what oh that's the guy that's going to get a car dealership someday yeah vitalis is the stuff that you know that uh that your your carrie grant would wear i don't want fop i'm a dapper dan man so she bought me a little bottle of vitalis which was you know i mean because she bought everything at long's drug she didn't want to buy me any fancy vidal sassoon hair gel she got me vitalis and for, for I, homophobic reasons no, 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 because it was too expensive. Oh, okay. So the bottle of Vitalis she got me was 99 cents at the drugstore. And I, until very recently, still had that bottle. It still had the price tag <laughs> from Long's Drugs on it that said 99 cents. And I used it over the years. And basically it's rubbing alcohol with some oil in it. Yeah. Uh, but I used it to when I would slick back my hair. I used it on, you know, junior prom. But other than that, I never have worn a scented product. I like when women wear scented products. So surely I should be giving back to the world. By wearing something with a kind of yeah, like leather sandalwood overtone. Alex always wore quite a bit of uh, of scent. You know, he was a guy of that generation. Yeah. And also the older you get, the less you smell stuff. That's so right. They, they apply liberally. I remember my, my grandpa smelled so much like, I don't even know what it was, maybe some kind of men in aftershave mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure it was just because... He splashed it on and he wasn't smelling it as much as I was. You see that a, a lot. O- older people on the bus that have a lot of perfume on. And my, my mom has said a similar thing. Like, as you get older, you you just don't realize how much you're wearing. And it's My it, grandma used to say she couldn't even cook anymore because she said, my taster doesn't work. In, my taster doesn't work no more. You know, she turned 80 and I just don't think my taster works. You really are. Pioneer stock. <laughs> <laughs> Only pioneers have tasters. She was from the Texas Oklahoma border. Mm-hmm. Great cook, but then her taster gave out. Then on her, her taster gave out, and everything just tasted like mashed potatoes from then on. Well, I don't know how much uh, t- 
time you've spent kind of thinking about the perfume industry, you know, it's a whole universe. Yes. Uh, the super smellers. I've been thinking we should do a super smeller show because yeah. they seem fascinating, those people. And the perfume people. I can't even tell what jelly belly I'm eating, you know? Yeah, right. Is I'm this like, grape? Is it yeah, sour exactly. apple? Who knows? Um, the people that, that are in the perfume business, uh, and there are, you know, there are these prized smellers that can can sit and smell 25 fragrances and pick out all the tiny notes, you know, like, like wine super tasters. Right. Um, but one of the things that, that, um, in the composition of, uh, of perfumes, there's a, there are the smells, but then there are just like MSD, MSG, MSD, just like MSG is a flavor enhancer, mm -hmm. there are products that are smell enhancers. So they have their own smell, but what their smell, what the smell of the, the thing does when added to other smells intensifies the, the smell. Yeah, like salt or MSG. Yeah, it, it's not... You put a little bit of salt in chocolate chip cookies and you wouldn't say this tastes salty, but somehow the cookie just tastes better. Right, the chocolate tastes better, everything jams. And some of the most uh, effective and pungent uh, extra scents that get used in perfume, and it's you know one of the reasons that tiny little bottles of perfume are so expensive is not just because that's how capitalism works. There's, I'm sure there's some element of that. We put in this super rare thing, and that's why it's 140 bucks for a little thing of this Terry Mugler scent. It is a, there is a lot of that, but also they do use very rare and concentrated tinctures, tinctures. to create these crazy smells. And one of the elements of, of making a multi-layered scent is um, that, that they, uh, they're described as fixatives or base notes in scents. Uh, they they just make things smell better and last longer, and often they are they originated as organic compounds because this was before you know the right you the can, rise of you sense can make was, it in a lab yeah prior to the rise of chemistry, uh, so as people sort of moved through the world right they would find these things tree saps and and um, you know like natural products of the world. And realized that these were, you know, that they had a powerful scent, but that that powerful scent combined with others could make, like, arresting fragrances. And that, that was big business then, right? Yeah. Like, two-thirds of the gifts baby Jesus got were... were Powerful scents. Perfume additives. I mean, it's the, the spice trade was also, you know, a big, a big scent trade. Uh, and two of the kind of more, or I mean, oh, not two of... One of the early things that they discovered in, in addition to tree saps and so forth was the muskier animals that had musky glands. You have to wonder how they discovered this. Well, it, I mean, who, a deer... Who was dabbing a civet butt on his neck, you know? If you're, if you're hunting deer and you kill a deer and find within the deer as you're... Because, you know, my people use every part of the deer... Uh, you're going to find these glands. But doesn't this stuff just smell gross on its own? Well, it does, but what what often happens is once a musk gland has dried, once it's aged, the the character of the smell changes. 
Um, and you're like, say. And I think I think in an age where, um, like a hunter might even, I mean, a hunter certainly would use those musks to attract game. Um, they would have exposure to musks in, in a way that maybe they would familiar that it would end up feeling familiar, or maybe they would come back to the village and their spouse would say. <laughs> What is it about you? Is it just because you brought that big deer home? I'm really into you. And it was the deer musk combined with their perspiration and the pine boughs where they awaited the deer. You know, like... I just feel like men are in general too dumb to figure that out. Like, that guy should be like, let me just go run, rub uh, pine needles and that weird part of the deer over my hands before I come home to the missus. But, but like a lot, of, a lot of those discoveries, it probably was that they came back to town and people that weren't hunters said your smell brings me closer to god uh and you know and, and dumb kevin is just like what's, what smell but they still you know they started to investigate and started to realize that these scents were uh, that that sense in combination created other environments and uh, everything smelling so bad back then you would you would just be so happy and relieved for a for a moment of uh Bergamot. Right. This was, you know, we, and I think we've talked about this on the show, a, an era where there was a lot more uh, death and decay. Animals died under the house a lot more, and people died <laughs> under the house, and uh, hygiene and sewers. I mean, there was, there were just a lot more bad smells. I would have led with sewer, not animals dying under the house, but yes. Yeah, both things. I mean, there's just, I mean, we have insulated ourselves ourselves from death and- And smells. And smells and sewage so much. I mean, uh, it's one of the things that characterizes life in Seattle. Zero smells other than diesel fumes and, and pine trees. That's why people from New York City move here. They, mm-hmm. you know, they just think you have to smell garbage all the time. Yeah. And then they come here and they're like, wait a second. It doesn't smell like garbage at all here. It smells like pine needles. Every time, every time the plane lands in Seattle- I can smell the fir trees between the the av- aviation gasoline. I was in LA for six weeks, and I got home, and it you know it had been raining the whole six weeks. It was October and November, right. and it just smelled like wet Seattle forest, and yeah. I was so happy. I know it's crazy. It, it, yeah, it's it's the equivalent of the hunter coming home with the deer musk, and me being like, "Say, we would we would come home from tour, and I we would enter the Northwest or Seattle in particular." And I, I swear I could smell the ferns just in the air, you know, because it's raining and you're yeah. just like, what is that smell? Oh, it's ferns. Wow. The ancients, in discovering all these different scents, you know, uh, searched for it far and wide. And a thing, um, a thing that, they, that, that was known throughout the ancient world, uh, but I think it took a long time to figure out what exactly it was, was ambergris. And ambergris is a secretion that happens inside a whale's tummy. And then and then comes gets out of the whale. Pooped out of the whale. Oh, it gets pooped? I it guess gets I, pooped. I thought it was barfed. It gets pooped. Huh? Well, so there's some argument as to whether or not it gets barfed. I think that, that that even now that's inconclusive. Well, even sperm whales are called sperm whales because people didn't understand which... Um, ejecta from a whale were coming out of where right the spermaceti in their head yeah they thought wow this whale has really got a lot of sperm 
But uh, but ambergris was a product of sperm whales. Uh, there's some thought that it's there because they eat a lot of squid and squid beaks. Well, I eat a lot of squid. Well, I know, but you don't eat giant squid. That's true enough. Squid. Beaks. You don't know everything about me, but you know you got me there. Yeah, it's tough. To, it's tough to get an entire. Well, and if you did eat a giant squid, I doubt you'd eat the beak. But uh, but we, a, my people use every part <laughs> of the giant squid. The the squid beaks. Would irritate the stomach of a of a sperm whale, yeah, and ambergris would form around the squid beaks. But I get it. Every other part of the squid you can eat. It's like the only hard part of the squid. Yeah. So really, you're just going to take a big bite. You're going to eat the whole squid. It would be like if every um, if every donut had like one like BB in yeah, one corner right. of it. You'd one. probably just eat, end up eating a lot of BBs. You eat around it. I actually had a BB once appear in a loaf of garlic bread at the old spaghetti house or the old spaghetti factory. Wow. And, uh, did you sue for millions? You know, at the time we just thought like, how is that possible? And I, we spent the rest of the dinner thinking of all the ways that BB could have ended that up. Was in that was when the hunter shot that garlic bread. That's right. Whales would, uh, I think it's part of the formation of ambergris that it stays in the whale's stomach for a long time. And so when they finally like expel it out their bottoms, it can be enormous. In fact, over a hundred pounds of ambergris have been discovered, like giant It'll just balls. Be a, a floating patch. And that's the thing. It floats because it's oily, greasy stuff. And fresh ambergris is terrible by all accounts. It smells like both poop and the sea. So, I mean, that's, those are two, I mean, you could arguably like the smell of the sea. The sea kind of smells like poop. You just have to ramp it up a little bit. Yeah. Low tide plus poop. But when ambergris has floated in the ocean for, in some cases, many, many, many years, centuries even, before it washes ashore, uh, all of that sort of seasoning in the sun and in the waves. somehow breaks down a lot of the... The bad smell part? It becomes still very intense, pungent smell, but one where the, um, because it's not poop, it just resided with poop. And so eventually, you know, it, 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 uh, the natural, <laughs> the natural smell of this stomach secretion of the whale, oily, greasy stomach secretion comes to the fore and even in ancient times, ambergris was used as a component of other smells because it was discovered to intensify and deepen other smells without kind of, you know, it's not like a caper. It doesn't overpower the um, the raw hamburger. Yeah. Don't rub caper juice on your on your temples or your neck side of your neck. No, uh, don't. But but do put a little teeny pinch of ambergris. And so it became then a, um, you know, a, a, a prized, I'm surprised they didn't give some to Jesus. It's like a currency. Yeah. They probably didn't have it around, but hard to find and hard to, and, and once you get it, you know, it's like a thing that you, it's like a truffle. You, you harvest it and. They should have given him that sea silk stuff. And then they could have been like, Hey, you're really giving him the business. Right. Ooh. Wow, it's been a long time since you punned that hard. Do you know where I learned about ambergris or ambergris? I guess both are correct. How? Uh, Where? Encyclopedia Brown. Did you read Encyclopedia Brown as a kid? You know, I I 
was given a lot of Encyclopedia Browns and read them sporadically, but I didn't, I was a Hardy Boys guy. The Hardy Boys seemed like they weren't actually doing any mental work. They were just, you know, jumping into their jalopies. They yeah. were more, they were more uh, men of action. Yeah, they stand around. You, you're a Hardy Boys and I'm a Leroy Brown. <laughs> the Hardy Boys, you know, if there's a ghostly figure out on the fens by the new hotel, the Hardy Boys are just not afraid to go chase it down. Yeah, not a lot of deduction going on. It's more like, uh, hey, that guy's getting away. Let's go run after him. Whereas Encyclopedia Brown just felt like he sat around a lot. Of- he sits at the dining table. Yeah. People bring problems to him. In this case, they found a lump of gunk on the beach. Oh. And, uh, you know, they often they, they hinge on a factual thing. You know, somebody will be like, uh, this is George Meyer's favorite thing. He's like, somebody will be like, I couldn't have committed the crime. I was watching a squirrel run headfirst down a tree. And Encyclopedia Brown will be like, squirrels never run headfirst down tre- trees or, or, or backing down a tree or something, you know? Mm-hmm. It'll be something stupid like that. It's often some fact about the natural world. And there's one where, um, yeah, there's one where somebody finds a lump of gunk on the beach and it smells gross, but only Encyclopedia knows that it's actually, it smells gross at first, but in small quantities, it smells great and is very valuable to make perfume. And I thought it was BS that the, huh. the, the mystery would hinge on this insane thing that how could you possibly know that uh, whales would whale barf or whatever it is would uh, would be valuable in perfume? But it, apparently, it stuck with me because I'm telling you about it at length right now. I love it. I love that you have an ambergris anecdote. That's my only ambergris ambergris anecdote. I'm going to say ambergris like a cretin. Well, so ambergris ambergris. I mean, the gris gris in it is French for gray. Yeah. Is that and what it meant? Gray amber? Gray amber. Because amber also, you know, the, the amber that is fossilized tree sap is also a, an important component in perfumery. Wait, really? Parfumery. But it's a rock. Do they grind it up? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, all these things are ground and, and added to And because it's a resin, it still, it still has properties that yeah. you want in perfume, huh? Yeah. So amber, tradi- you but know. But what if it, you get dinosaur DNA in you that way? I mean, that's why amber is valuable. It's, it's not, it's... It, Oh, the ancients didn't just uh, collect old mosquitoes to, to extract dinosaur DNA to create a theme park. But that's jewelry, too. Jewelry. And and when you rub it, it's got kind of a staticky electrical quality that made them think it was magic. If you rub it a little harder, it smells so fresh and so clean. Just like me. Intense. Uh, but, you know, ambergris, hard to, hard to find, prized when you do find it. But another... You couldn't harvest it. You, it's hard it, to harvest. It doesn't scale. No, you could. In fact, when whaling uh, arose as a, a major oh, industry, just get it straight out of the whale. You don't have to wait for it to f- wash ashore. Right. One of the one of the things as you're processing a sperm whale, because my people use every part of the whale, uh, they after having extracted the oil and the spermaceti for candles and the the blubber. By the way, if I saw a new animal and its head was full of gunk, I wouldn't be like. That's clearly semen. What was up with the ancients where they saw a sperm whale and it had a bunch of waxy gunk in its head and they were like, this thing is full of jizz. I don't know. I mean, I suppose it just, all it takes is one person. (laughs) One guy is like, dude, I bet that's semen. Look at all that. And then everybody else is like. (laughs) But it's in its head. Well, I mean, the ancients thought that your brain was in your stomach. Right, or your thoughts were in your heart. I did have a Sunday school teacher when I was a kid tell me that the brain is the largest sexual organ. Ooh, hot. And I I said, not on me, and went in for the high five. (laughs) And he was not interested in the high five. 
Pretty good. The the sperm. Who knows what you know? Does a does a whale have visible testes? Whales have large uh, dongs. Yeah, but the, the, there's a whole museum in Iceland about it. But they're but they're internal. They're 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 growers, not showers. <laughs> I think that's probably true. <laughs> they they retract inside. Otherwise, that would be a vulnerability when fighting a giant squid. Yeah, but you just. If you know where the, the organs of generation are on a whale, what, what do you think is the pipeline to get it from its brain? When was the last time you read Moby Dick? They don't have, I mean, they know a lot about whales, but they don't know a lot about life. I guess that's true. I mean, they know a lot about life if life is staring out at the sea for three years at a time. I mean, I guess if you're on a boat for a long time. There are maybe, no women maybe, there. Yeah, everything's sexual. Right. Like you see stuff in a whale's head and you're like, I bet I know what that is. You see a whale and you're like, I'm going to call this guy Moby Dick. Right. I mean, we're we're still a year away from Polynesia, uh, so and two hundred years away from polyamory. <laughs> What's the th- what is there to think about? Oh, that's what polyamorists would like you to think, but they didn't just invent that recently. Uh, so, in looking in in scouring the ancient world for all manner of thing that smelled good and intense, one of the things they discovered in Europe was that the beaver. The noble beaver. Which they have in Europe. They had in Europe. Okay. Uh, in abundance at one point in, in ancient times, in medieval times even. The beaver has a unique kind of scent pouch, which is often mistakenly called a gland, but it isn't actually a gland exactly. Because the pouch is not what makes it? Uh, the pouch makes it, but it is not, I mean, the, the, a gland is part of the endocrine, exocrine system. Right. And the, the material, the material made by the beaver in this pouch does not have a, uh, this is interesting because it does have a pheromonal quality. But it doesn't go in the bloodstream like a hormone would. Well, so that's endocrine. Okay. Endocrine glands produce blood uh, bloodstream activating secretions. Yeah. Exocrine glands like sweat glands or, you know, pheromonal glands do produce material that's, that goes out of the body. You can see why there's fewer exocrine glands. I want most of my goop on the inside of me. Well, sure. Unless it's pheromonal and you're trying to attract a mate and you don't have any deer musk to smear on your pine boughs. Do humans, humans don't really have much in the way of pheromonal exocrine glands? Tell that to Dr. Winifred Cutler, who is always advertising her oh. human pheromones in ads in the back of magazines. That's all quackery. Maybe you don't read the same magazines I do where Dr. Winifred Cutler is- Is this in Red Book? Is, uh, is in the back advertising her pheromones. But, uh, I mean, there are human pheromones. There are. Yeah, they but don't- I, I don't think there's any evidence that you can- Dob them on and uh, and find a mate there. Well, I don't know. You only fi- you only had to find one mate. That's true. And you attracted her with your prowess at watching movies, right? Wasn't that, uh, what yeah, was the number one thing that I think Mindy... it was the yeah, knowledge of the dialogue from Goonies? Uh-huh. I think, and that was about it. You you had you had all of uh, my dinner with Andre memorized, and she was like, <laughs> she was bored. Let me, and then I switched to Goonies. Let me marry you. Um. In the in the hunting of beavers, which I think, you know, in in ancient times they hunted everything, right? Anything that moved, you could shoot an arrow at. You're hungry. 
But uh, it was it was discovered that beavers had these little pouches that were proximate to the anus, and beavers also had anal glands like other. Yeah, my dog has those animals. That's I, right. My dog's always scooting around on the carpet. Yeah, cut it out. I I had a friend and uh, with and a couple he of would dogs. Do it? Oh. No, the, my friend didn't have anal glands, but he had a couple of dogs. And one time, I surprised one of the dogs. They were hunting dogs. And this dog expelled this most awful black <laughs> material from its butt glands because it was freaked out. Be gone, Satan. I, we should have said at the beginning of this episode, don't listen to it While if you're eating. eating. But I suppose it's kind of in the title. You're going you're gonna to have to We wonder. got into it gradually enough that people probably started to put their food back yeah, in the fridge. Like, oh boy, this isn't the time to eat this black pudding. At least they know that we're not going to be chewing during one of these right. episodes. But be, uh, beaver uh, beaver glands, beaver castorium glands are not connected to the anus and not related to the anal glands. They just happen to be back there. They're just back there in that area. And what the beaver does is use the use this material castorium to mark its territory to you know like a lot of. It come like you can depo- it deposits with the urine or something. Uh, it mixes with the urine. In, in, the, the urine is a lesser component of it, but they can squirt it. They can squirt it out of their back, lucky their bottom area, and uh, and so it's often mistaken as a kind of you know anal secretion, but it isn't one. And every beaver has it. It's not. It's not gender specific. It's not like humans. We're we're not all squirters, right? John, this is a show about the future. I and believe yet, me. I bet we're speaking to a lot of people who are going to the bathroom exactly the way their grandparents did. I mean, if you think about it, people are going to the bathroom the way that their one million ago grandfathers did, but That's true. You know what medieval peasants and cavemen did not have? What? The bidet toilet. No, that's the thing. That's the first real innovation. I mean, after leaves, um, what else? What else is new? The seat, I Leaves guess. Leaves were toilet 1.0. Right. And then there was, a, there was a place you could actually sit. And after that's, that... That's toilet 2.0. Yeah. What is there? There's the brand new Hello Tushy 3.0 modern bidet attachment. You put it on top of your toilet at home and it cleans you with a spray, a precise stream of fresh water. Mm. And then it cleans itself before and after it's used with the smart spray automatic self-cleaning nozzle. So do I have to get a plumber or an electrician to hook this up for me? No electricity, no additional plumbing, and it'll pay for itself and all the toilet paper you don't use, or it'll free up toilet paper to use for other things. And how do you keep this whole operation clean? Again, the Schmutz Shield offers easy cleaning. The Schmutz Shield, by the way, has a TM after it here, so you know it's mm-hmm. good. Schmutz, I would say Schmutz Shield. The knobs are naturally antimicrobial, hmm. and you don't have to worry about any of this. It's got a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty, so you have nothing to lose in trying it out. So what if I already had a tushy, like a like an old one? You could upgrade to the 3.0 uh, and find out how it will change your life. So... Would I go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus uh, to find this tushy? Yes. It's a special offer for our listeners. You'll get 10% off plus free shipping if you go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus. That's hellotushy.com slash omnibus. The recognition that beavers were, or that uh, they had these pouches that they produced this 
material resulted in the overhunting of beavers in Europe and in in uh, and the extinction of beavers in most of Europe that isn't Scandinavia because it was so valuable for its for its scent related properties. That's right for its castorium. It would it, it was like same kind of thing as the ambergris in small quantities or after it was denatured or whatever. That's it was, right. It was a perfect fixative or base note or whatever. Yeah, you you could dry it and then, you know, use very tiny amounts of it and uh and it would intensify scents but also food flavors. Um and, and Oh, that, wait, so people would eat it? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Sense was its primary use. Enough that it enough that it um that it, didn't, it played a large role in extinctifying beavers. In Western Europe. My wife used to wear this scent that had a lot of, uh, I don't even know, like edible notes. I think this was kind of a fashion around the, maybe in the 90s, that suddenly instead of smelling like citrus or resins or whatever, perfumes would like smell like vanilla or chocolate or caramel. And I had like this really complex smell and I was super into it, but it was just kind of like, because I would, I would eat, you know, candy that tasted like that or something. Uh, I was very into the way this angel smelled. Well, Angel's the name of the perfume, not what I not what I referred to as my some pet name for my wife. So we'll we'll get to your uh, we'll get to your my weird uh, your wife's vanilla flavored perfume in a second. Hey, watch it. Rawr. Um the 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 extinction of the beaver in Western Europe, Western Europe, kind of uh, caused the the castorium, the, the, the kind of magical quality of it to become one of those disappeared uh, like, knowledge, like Greek fire. Yeah. It was, Ooh. it was something that kind of, the, there was no more castorium to be found. And so it was a lost technology. You think that would be an early conservationist wake up call. Like, dude, we, if we didn't kill all the beavers, think of all the castorium we'd have. I guess that doesn't last. Or yeah. It's always realized too late. Uh, that's right. And, and, and in fact, there's some suggestion. I mean, ca- castor is Latin for beaver. That's what they are in Spanish. But castor oil, which is derived from the castor bean, there's some etymological dispute. And one of the suggestions is that castor oil and castor bean were named for the f- fact that that oil can kind of um, play the role of castorium in... Oh, it was like the vegetable substitute once yeah. all the beavers died. It was like, well, there's no more beavers, but th- whoever the people that overlapped the two things... It's like vegan castorium. Milk the bean or uh, remember the beaver. <laughs> those those, <laughs> those are, are your options. Yeah, that's, I'm going to put that on a poster for my next live sporting <laughs> event. One sign will say milk the bean and the other will say remember the beaver. But as we know about the about the new world... Uh, it was full of beavers. It was full of beavers. And beaver trapping in the Americas became like a, a major global en- enterprise. It really drove the colonization of the New World. We've, we've talked about this before. And that was partly because beaver, f- or I'm sorry, largely because beaver fur became very fashionable. Yeah, the hats beaver hats. Um, and beaver fur, obviously waterproof and very warm. But a side effect of the beaver hunting trade was the rediscovery of castorum as a uh, as a f- 
like a, an enhancer. And in these cases, they were killing the beaver anyway and taking the fur and then found these pouches full of castorum inside. And Don't say castorum because it sounds too much like santorum. Oh, castorium. There Sorry. we go. Um, There's probably santorum back there too. Uh, almost certainly. <laughs> uh, and so these became a kind of um, like a secondary prize. And also then there was, you know, the modernization of the, of the scent industry and castorium became an important ingredient in modern perfume. Um, and I, you know, the, the, it's one of those chicken and egg things like, yeah, would we have gotten the perfume rebirth without that? Sure. I mean, and scents were being used continuously, but the, but the re rearrival of castorium enabled more complex sense. It's um, it's often described as having. I mean, some of those some of those smells that you were describing a kind of leathery, uh, yeah, vanilla y. Oh, it it's been described as a werewolf lumberjack reclining on a bearskin rug, <laughs> uh, a combination of birch tar and Russian leather. If, I bet some of those are the marketing people oh. talking, not the lab scientists with a with a little with a little <laughs> eyedropper being like, "Yes, uh, reclining on a yes werewolf." Got it, one hundred percent. But in addition to the perfume universe, in the early part of the twentieth century, it was kind of uh, th this was in an era that we talked about with the on the cookbook episode that there were there was a lot of experimentation in food and new flavors. And some of that experimentation kind of overlapped with the world of sense. What would happen if we made, and we see this in the, in haute cuisine now, like what happens if we make this burrito taste like lavender, right? Um, you know, throw, throw scents and flavors together and see what it produces. That's kind of the molecular gastronomy vibe is what if it smelled like this in the room when you were eating that? Right. The crazy thing was that adding uh, this beaver castorium, castorium, this this um, Merry Christmas castorium, <laughs> this little bit of that was pretty good, Jimmy Stewart. This little, you know, and again, you know, micro amounts of um, of this material, this goop, uh, would enhance and intensify all kinds of food flavors. And because beavers are vegetarians and they eat, you know, basically wood, wood um, the, it doesn't have the kind of, you know, greasy, gross taste that something, you know, that was secreted from a dog. It's like, might what, it's what we do, what we do to our bodies. Yeah. The, the beavers have been living clean for us. Yeah. They're living clean. And so, you know, and again, if it's dried and then tinctured, you know, it goes through a lot of permutations to become this, you know, this little thing that you could add to food. So I had no idea it was a food additive. Is it still today or are there chemical approximations of it still used in food labs? Like is the egg McMuffin like full of beaver gunk? Well, so it, so it, it had a kind of, um, in the 17th and 18th centuries when beavers were reintroduced to Europe, uh, from the Americas, it like this, Castorium went through kind of the inevitable phase where it was used in everything. Um, King uh, King Charles II, his favorite meal was 
eggs and ambergris, uh, and then eggs and castorium. It's like the truffle oil yeah. of the 18th century. 100% is. Wow. Um, it was used as a, as a medicine to treat earaches, toothaches, colic, gout. Uh, it uh, helped you sleep, or it prevented sleep. <laughs> it uh, was used to combat epilepsy and constipation. And uh, the belief all the way back to the Greeks was that if you inhaled it as a, um, you know, as a, uh, if you burned it and you, inhaled it as a vapor, vape castorium. it would, it, it could uh, facilitate an abortion, which it what? is discovered now, of course, not true, but, but, um, you know, the ancients. Particularly if I did it, it's not going to work. No, you could probably not. Uh, have an or- abortion. I thought you were going to say it was like an aphrodisiac. Was there ever any of that? Because you'd think all this perfume stuff, you know, with the close relation to scent and pheromonal. I mean, everything produces a, is is an aphrodisiac if you're on a whaling ship, right? Right. <laughs> but you're using it, you know, you're using it at at a level of ten parts per million when you're when you're seasoning food. But it went through. Uh, it went th- surprisingly. You know, you would think this was a 19th century phenomenon and then once the beavers were almost extinguished uh it wouldn't be as commonplace yeah but this discovery of it as a food additive was something that happened at the beginning of the 20th century and it was found to really intensify vanilla and strawberry it was um sprinkled in cigarette tobacco again in tiny tiny amounts but if you had a whole bunch of tobacco processed tobacco ready to be made into cigarettes and you added a little bit of beaver anus of, of this beaver uh, sauce that it just made the cigarettes taste mm, just that little bit extra of, I mean, it's the MSG of cigarettes. Monosmellium glutamate. Yeah, you can, you can put it in an awful lot of things. And is it still used that way? Or well, is- No. And the reason is that beavers were driven to extinction. Again. Or the verge of extinction. And um, hunting beavers became, beavers became protected. You can't just go kill as many beavers as you want. And so. Are they coming back? Like I've seen beavers in ponds in Washington and Oregon. Washington has beavers. Or I guess Oregon is the beaver state. I, I, uh, you know, I was dating a girl from California for a while and I took her down to the boathouse, uh, and the Montlake cut yeah. one night and there were, a, <laughs> and there were a bunch of beavers living under the dock. Oh, I didn't know that. And were. I was like, Hey, come let's, let's look at the beavers. And I took her down. I was like, Oh, beavers, you know, the Northwest full of beavers. And I haven't ex- encountered a lot of beavers in Alaska canoeing and whatnot. Yeah. And we got down there and I was like, look at the cute beavers. And the beavers, uh, came kind of around enough that we could interact with them at, at a respectful distance. And she was like, they're repulsive. And I had never really looked at a beaver with its giant yellow teeth and its- Consider the beaver. Rodentian. I'm looking for a Uh, picture right now. Well, the thing is, you can get a cute picture of a beaver. Yeah. Beavers, people take a lot of pictures of beavers and they take the cute ones. They're putting their little hands together. Yeah. They've got the slap in their tail on the water. But a beaver, when when its teeth are long, well, at least- she showed me a new beaver that I'd never seen before, which was the not cute beaver. And it was just looking at them through her eyes. It's got chubby cheeks, which helps. But, it, but yeah, the teeth are a problem. The teeth are a little gross. 
Um, but so nowadays, the only way that you can get this substance is by uh, two methods. One, there are problem beavers. And problem beavers are ones who are building dams that oh, back up right. water to... Yeah, huge ecological damage. I've been yeah. places that were... Species are going extinct because the water levels keep rising. Yeah, and there are a lot of places where beaver dams will encroach on human development. You know, all of a sudden your golf course is underwater because of beavers. But and, I I, national parks hate them too. Like, it's not just yeah, developers. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Like, and, and, you know, beavers are great for, uh, for creating fire breaks where... Yeah, uh, the big big raging fires can't go across this sort of beaver area. Nature's lumberjacks, but a lot of places hate them. And in fact, we uh, a friend of mine uh, still has a cabin up by Mount Denali, and we would go there every summer. And one year we showed up, and what had formerly been um, miles and miles of kind of tundra and trees was now all under six feet of water. And we went and, you know, we traced kind of the, the water course and found the beaver dam, which was enormous. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like it. It was it like had the size of a Starbucks. Yeah, it had well, and it went in stages. It was like a the dam went over to here where there was a mound of land, and then on the other side of it, it continued to go. Like they keep building dams as the area fills up. And I'm not sure whether we did a good thing or not. But we climbed out on this dam and started kicking it apart. And we broke we broke the dam. The water poured out. It's a very male energy. Yeah. We were, I don't know if this is good or not, but let's kick some things. We were 25 years old and we were like, we're taking this dam out, man. You can't just flood our whole, I mean, it flooded miles. So we broke this dam. I'm sure the, the beavers repaired it in an hour. But we felt like real, real strong men. They are busy. They're, there you are. They are famously, famously busy. busy. So there are problem beavers and there are people who are, you know, who are authorized like in New Hampshire or whatever to, to take out problem beavers. In Alaska, there are still trappers. Uh, and those people in, in trapping those beavers still do harvest the little pouches. Well, is there any kind of sensual way that while the beaver is still alive, you can milk its hindquarters? Get that precious, precious castorium and, and leave, just leave a very happy beaver? There is. Yeah. Um, it, I do not want to watch these videos, but yeah. It requires that um, that the beaver be anesthetized. So mm. you, you and the beaver are not having like a time with one another, but you can put a beaver to sleep. Problematic. And then squeeze its castorium pouch and collect what is almost certainly a super duper gross gunk gunk. Um, but it's still used not as a food additive because to do this is, I mean, there's, they are so scarce that, um, that there's, uh, that it would just make food prohibitively expensive. I mean, I'm sure there's a chef at a four star restaurant somewhere that, um, that buys because you can get, you can actually buy a uh, beaver castorium pouches come in pairs, and when they're dry and they're connected by a little, um, well, a little passageway, a little, a little some kind of tubule tube, um, and together the two of them 
I will say they look like figs. Okay. Some people would say they looked like I'm testes. With, I'm with you. But they look like little figs. You can, they, you can actually find them on Etsy. Um, like the same people selling owl pellets? Yeah. And so th- it is possible to use them in food, but not in, not in the mass production of food. Um, they are still used in perfume. A- as late as 1982, uh, the industrial world of food and perfume were using 700 pounds of castorium a year. That has dropped now to a global 300 pounds of castorium gets used, which is not really that much. It's a lot if you think about all the beavers you would have to milk. What do we think about? Is it artificial substitutes? Like what's the... That's what's happened. Flavor enhancers have replaced it. You know, vanilla... uh, Castorium works wonders with vanilla, but it isn't a major component of it. I've never dipped a vanilla wafer into it. Into it, no. Or and and I think you would if if two vanilla ice creams were put side by side, one with ten parts per million of castorium and one without. The uh, people have, I mean, they recount that yes, you would be able to tell the difference. The the one with castorium is just better, deeper, and more. Bigger, more deeper, interesting, more productive. Uh, one of the one of the reasons that they stopped using it in foods is that you cannot have castorium in a food and have it be kosher. Oh, or vegan because the beaver because the 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 beaver has little um, all those aquatic animals have um, kind of uh, like connected webbed, webbed, feet. webbed feet and that yeah. that rules them out. And it's an animal product, so vegans don't want anything to do with it. But the the reason it comes up is that there was a scandal about seven years ago. Uh, one of the kind of whatever you would say first or second generation food bloggers, a woman who went by the the uh, catchy handle the food babe, uh, by the name of Vana Hari, um, she did, and she's one of these food bloggers that is very controversial. Some people credit her with being someone who does these sort of food exposés and um, and is an activist, kind of goes to craft and says, why do you keep putting yellow dye in macaroni? She goes, she takes on big food producers. She's a anti-GMO person and, and, and thinks of herself as an investigative journalist. Natural organic food movement. Yeah, and takes on big uh, big food the flip side of the coin is that the sort of scientific community says she has no idea what she's talking about. She's not a trained food scientist. She is a sensationalist and a kind of fear monger who goes out and is always finding reasons to panic about food. Yeah. But uh, in the mid-2000s, she came out with a, a blog post that said uh, that this um, this caster was being used as a food additive. I do remember this. You asked me if I remembered this and I didn't, but yes, this is coming back to me. Yeah. And, uh, and she said her quote was, uh, beavers flavor a ton of food with their little bee areas. Now, you know, I'm reluctant to use the term for the orifice that would be in the hindquarters of a beaver. That's right. You've said that you're okay with saying it and I'll allow it this time. So just so the audience understands, you read read the rest of the sentence and I'll help you out. Beavers flavor a ton of food with their little... Butthole. Plural. Buttholes. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say butthole areas or something. No. Beavers flavor a ton of foods with their little... 
buttholes. And that is a great pull quote. If you want to take a quote and and put it, you know, you can see why things go viral. Yeah, and and of course, in this school, in people that are um, that are afraid that their food is polluted, the idea of beaver secretion was, I mean, it's very sensational, and it went all it went all over. And even you know, and you're remembering it now. Yeah. And so then it it necessitated a whole bunch of debunking. Uh, and corporations insisting that they've never touched a single beaver hole. Exactly. Corporations one after the other saying like, we have no record of ever having used beaver free since 1808. <laughs> That's right. And um, Maxwell House Coffee has literally never had a beaver butthole in it since 2010. And the cigarette people, you know, were like, what? We couldn't, we can't even afford it. And that was the argument, right? That in order to really flavor craft macaroni and cheese with beaver butt, you would have to... You would have to kill every remaining beaver. It's not economical. It just wouldn't make sense. You would sense. use a cheaper uh, organic chemical substitute. But, Ken, today is your lucky day. There are products that continue that are, that, uh, that allow you to consume beaver castor If that's your dream, if you don't care what, it, what it's for, you just want to make sure you have some inside you, what, what would you use? Oh, wait. Ken, this won't work for you. Oh, why not? It's... Uh, it's used primarily as a flavoring agent in liquor. Oh. There's a very famous Swedish schnapps. I mean, very famous. Not, neither of Swedish us have ever heard of it. But it. Yeah, that's right. And it translates, uh, the name of it translates as Beaver Shout. <laughs> it's called uh, Baverhust. <laughs> and it's, a, sh- it's, a, a, it's a, a liqueur that is flavored with beaver castorum. And then there are, of course, American IPAs, uh, not IPAs, <laughs> but like, you know, artisanal or, or in this case, artisanal, uh, <laughs> beverages, one of them called Eau de Musk. And uh, it's, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a liqueur. It's a liqueur. It's like a, it's a liquor. No. So, so I think Eau de Musk is, what is it? But this is not for, um, it's not a cosmetic product. No, you're supposed a, to. You're supposed to nurse it after dinner. Uh, it's a whiskey. Eau de Musk is a whiskey. Got it. And um, and the castorium, you know, again, it 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 is there less to flavor it than to put on the label. Yeah. Probably. Well, and also like punch up the flavor. Uh, I mean, at okay. ten parts per million, it's not just a nothing. It's basically homeopathy, <laughs> yeah, except that even in tiny, tiny doses, it it still has this. It still does this work. So I think you could, if you were making eau de musk, you could buy one little pair of glands a year. And make your batch, your full batch. Right. And and still get that, get that, you know, warm but punchy, um, you know, taste of, uh, taste of werewolf lumberjack on a bearskin rug. I want it on frozen yogurt. I want that to be in the toppings bar. I want to just go in with my frozen yogurt and be like, I'm going to put on gummy worms. I'm going to put on Oreo crumbs and then I'm going to, you know, pump this, mm-hmm. pump this hand lotion looking thing and squirt mm. beaver gunk all over the top of my, of my menchies. For me, I want the food of Kings, the food of Charles II, scrambled eggs and, and beaver butt. That sounds pretty good. That's, isn't that the Frasier theme song? <laughs> scrambled eggs and, I can't do a Frasier. 
And that concludes Beaver Castorium, entry 108.ex3035, certificate number 36682, in the Omnibus. Uh, Futurelings, as products of our time, John and I were, uh, uh, we, we were both food bloggers in the 90s, but we've moved on to social media. Now we are respectively at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick, everywhere you look. Uh, and at Omnibus Project, don't forget to follow at Omnibus Project, see what it's up to. It, it the entity... Uh, that exists out with both of us. You can find fellow Omnibus listeners uh, on the Futurelings page on Facebook. There are similar communities on Reddit and Discord. Uh, we receive communications from listeners at the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. When they wanted to sell us, send us physical items, they could use. My chair is on the bag. Ugh, there we go. That's going to be a record Omnibus chair squeak moment. I've noticed my chair is getting squeakier. Uh, right. So now the omnibus it's squeak, in stereo. squeak uh, uh, Twitter feed will have will Pe- have to identify our squeaks. People used to only have um, squeaks in the left channel when they'd listen in stereo, but now you're going to be able to hear it in both ears. We um, we received mail at the Omnibus Project, PO Box five seven four four. Five five seven four four, Shoreline, Washington, nine eight one five five. Do not just put John Roderick on it because somebody got something sent back. Uh, let's see. This recipient in Maine says, "My parents are cleaning their house in preparation to move, and they found these. <laughs> it's a pair of uh, what's well, a set of looks like some kind of military issue playing cards." With Saddam Hussein as the ace of spades. Now, my question is, is he on every card, or is this just a... Oh, is this the actual oh, deck? Oh, this is the is one, the, the 52 bad guys. It? That's what I'm wondering. Let's find out what's in here. I have never seen one of these in person. It's been opened before, so somebody has actually been playing solitaire with America's enemies. Yep, each one. Two of clubs, Ugla Soccer Al-Kubaisi. He was the bath party chairman for Mysan, and they don't even have a picture of him. That's what I didn't know about these. You get low enough in the ranks, and they don't even know. Although the King of Hearts, Hani Al-Latif Tilfa, some kind of... Oh, she doesn't have a face. Some kind of special security organization director. Uh, there are women. The Five of Hearts, Huda Salih Mahdi Amash, weapons of mass destruction scientist. I mean, not a very good one, apparently, since Iraq didn't turn out to have any weapons of mass destruction. Oh, oopsie. But you go, girl. I mean, I'm sure she was trying her best. This is great. I, uh, this is, and the Joker has a list of Iraqi military ranks. The other Joker has a list of Arab, uh, tribal titles. So really a helpful pocket. You could have a pretty good weekend in Dallas with, uh, with one of the, with this stuff. (laughs) But you know, when they would find people in that deck, they would, they would, name them by the card they would say oh we ca- we caught the seven of diamonds do you find that like a little creepy necklace of ears e i hate everything about the iraq afghanistan misadventures and it's hard to know where to start hating like this is not the worst thing about them no but it's not great it's not great but but no it's it's not the worst thing about them i feel like both of those wars could have been and should have been avoided Obviously, your mileage may vary if you are um, if you are sitting there wrapped in desert camo right now, feeling like it's all been a righteous thing. 
Genevieve sent us. Obviously, terrorism is completely eliminated from the world. Yeah, it worked. Mm -hmm. All we had was had to do was just decades of, of nonstop, uh, and inconclusive global war, and we ended terrorism. Genevieve from Omaha sent us a postcard from, of a of a valuable piece of the Danish national heritage, silver silver plate from the Gundestrup cauldron a pre-Roman Iron Age Danish artifact, which has weird animals, a guy with antlers holding a holding a very phallic snake uh, and a weird bracelet. This thing is just full of magical pagan... Oh, it fell on the floor, sorry. Magical pagan energy. Thank you, Genevieve. That actually is very uh, omnibus as postcards go. And I have one more thing. What is this? Oh, it's a Christmas card. We're recording this in December. Oh, Jen sent us uh, 20 bucks. This is like having, hey, hey, but it's like having a grandma who... Uh... Thank you, Jen. <laughs> uh, but how are we, we going to split that money? Do you have a 10? If one of us has a 10, I know how to solve this with math. Look at this. Look at you. I don't know why I have cash at all, but here. Would you rather have... Well, here, you get James Madison. Nice. I'm throwing tens at John. Make it rain. Uh, you do not have to send us money. There, are, there's a more convenient way to uh, fund the uh, show. Although, thank you for supporting the U.S. Postal Service, Jen. Uh, you can use our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/OmnibusProject. You will feel like part of the community that keeps the show going because you are. Yes. Uh, and you will also receive cool stuff like a weekly bonus episode, a monthly, weekly, can you imagine? Monthly, a weekly monthly bonus, bonus episode. Uh, and uh, many other perks and benefits. Check it out at well, patreon.com slash omnibus project. Including signed original show notes. We got to do some of those right now, Which by are the way. hilarious if you want to read through them and try and figure out what the heck, how we ever got to a show through these chicken scratches and scribbles. My recent one about the St. Louis Arch actually has diagrams of uh, with uh, measurements of great arches. So oh. that's that's going to be a oh, nice. sought after. Well, that's great because it came up as I as I quizzed you about the great arches. You had the figures. I did. Well, I wanted to know like really how much leeway is there on some of these on some of these approaches. Sometimes the notes that we take for the show are there just to anticipate the esoteric question that we're going to get from our co-host. That's true. Oh, I know that Ken is going to ask me what the what the uh, volume under a cert, uh, volume under a curve is here. I've got to get my my calculus out. Yeah, let's do a little calculus in the middle of the show. Uh, future links from our vantage point in your distant past. We hope and fear that our civilization survives the coming apocalypse. If we say all the words in random order, I yeah. think people will kind of get the vibe. Vantage future links distant point past. Idea civilization have long. Uh, but we hope and pray. Well, I already said that part. <laughs> we catastrophe come fear may never. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the on.